Welcome, friends. Welcome back to Chitty Chats with Stacy. Have you ever just gone somewhere in the world and met someone that you knew you were supposed to meet? That's how I feel about you, Tracy. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like our paths were meant to cross. And so I am going to let you introduce yourself, and then I have a whole deep dive of questions. So, ooh, okay, okay. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. It just. Everything happens for a reason, and our paths crossed for a reason. Stacey, I'm so excited to be here with you today. Um, my name is Tracy Chauvin. I am a clinical social worker in the state of Kansas. I have worked in a variety of capacities as a social worker, um, but my full-time job has been since I started my career working with youth, working with youth. I have spent roughly 15 years working in the school system. I currently serve as the Director of Student Support Programs for Kansas City, Kansas Public School, one of the 10 largest districts in the state of Kansas and the second largest urban district um, with only Wichita with like 100,000 students. Like how, what, like what? Um, but I've worked in a variety of other fields in terms of my experiences outside of school as well. So I have a passion for serving youth and a passion for advocacy, which is what led me to continue to do that educational leader route, which led to becoming a director of student support programs, because it's just another layer of advocacy with a bigger platform and voice. Yeah, love that. So I always like to sort of get the professional components out of the way. Because Done. Yes, because I, I think it's important. It speaks to the credibility of who you are and what you do and how you work and what that looks like. Our paths have crossed because, because of our trauma-informed work. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk a little bit more about that today, especially a lot of the people I serve and where I'm located is very rural. And I mm -hmm. want to talk about what it means to bring trauma-informed, trauma-restorative, trauma-sensitive practices to huge urban settings because it takes a lot to change a system. It yes. takes an even like an even more lot. That's not a word. <laughs> even louder. An even louder <laughs> to really to shift, right? Like education is in the shift. And I know you feel it. And I just want to talk a little bit about your experiences around what that means mm -hmm. in your life. It's so interesting, like when we think about how to disrupt an oppressive system, which is public education, like it is built um, in a lot of ways based on traditional normative values seen through one lens. And so how do we then go in and act as agents of change and whatever that lens might be, be that agent of change. Um, and for me, you're right. It is that trauma informed, equity driven, restorative lens and I think it is so vital in those underserved communities, be it rural or are urban, because they're often the most disenfranchised and the most impacted by the policies, procedures being enacted from the top down. And so how do we then create systems? And this is something that I really, I really enjoy talking about because I'm not the person that goes in and just blows it up because in my head and oh my God, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because in my brain, I can go and blow it up. I can set that fire and have it rage. But oftentimes we get burnt with it because it's a raging fire we can't control. So if I can light a match and have that spark grow fires and light other matches around me in a controlled way, we all are creating change and having a unified voice and a unified commitment while still controlling all of it 
to see the future instead of burning it all at once to say, I did something, I made that. Um, and so that's the viewpoint I take of we can do this and we can be unified and we can be collaborative, we can be respectful. Um, we can disrupt that status quo and change the narrative while at the same time blowing it up quietly. <laughs> it still has the I'm ripple, it still has that seismic like effect. Like I, I really love that because one of the reasons I'm drawn to you, Tracy, is our energy is very similar. We're both pretty high, passionate, like excited. You want change? We're going to come in here. We're going to change it. Like we don't really take no for an answer. We don't really say like this can't happen. You know, there's so many pieces of that that I think people can get bogged down in the overwhelming part of yes. changing oppressive systems. And so when you say you light a match, I want to know how you do that. What does that look like? Is that one-on-one? -on -one? Is that with your, your sped people? What does it look like? So that's such a great question. It's all the above. It, it's for me, not an either or a both and, and oftentimes both ands are frustrating because when we have those who are really passionate, it is like, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, let's do the both and method, you guys. So I think through it as um, a telescope and a microscope. Like I look at that microscope lens. What does it mean for you as a counselor, a professional school counselor, as a social worker, as an educator, as a special educator, a para? How do we look through the lens, your lens to see what policies, procedures are impacting you and in what way? And then I take it up a further, like a step out and go, okay, how then do we collaborate and work with HR to be able to nudge those systems sort of one step at a time to be more inclusive of all those lens? And then even for, further say, okay, we've changed the policy for one group. Teachers are typically that one group first because they have a way to have a unified voice. And a lot of ways that's that negotiated agreement. It doesn't always capture the voice of every, each and every. Like we want, they're catching every, let me rephrase that, but not each. Um, and so how do we then leverage those systems that are already in place so that we can make that one-on-one -on -one to then larger group change and make it sustainable and make it feasible and viable? And the hard part is, is not everyone's going to be happy. Not every, we can't always make everyone happy. And that is one of the hardest things for people in helping professions. Mm -hmm. We want everyone to feel good and seen, heard and validated. And if they're like, wait, but this doesn't. And I'm like, oh man, I hear, I see you. But also this is the one bite of that elephant because we're eating that elephant one bite at a time. Here it is right now. We will continue to make that forward momentum. So in my lens, in my role, like when I was a school, as a school social worker, I would look at it that way. Like, how am I looking at this discipline policy through the parent-student lens, that caregiver lens, the student lens, then the classroom teacher lens? How could we examine those? And I don't want to say find loopholes, but find the ways to make them more restorative and less punitive. Mm -hmm. How could we take the system we were given and start to create the quiet change that then had that ripple effect? Other buildings said, oh, we're going to start doing it that way too. And then it continued out until we started to see, oh, we can impact our code of conduct, which then impacts board policy. Yeah. And, and I think that's the view that I take is go from both ends and meet in the middle because you're making that change. You're making that huge change because if you can stoke that fire within everybody, um, you're more likely to have the lasting change that outlasts you. You've yeah. left that legacy of change because that's something we talk a lot about um, 
is do we want to transform one classroom? Yeah, we do. But how do we get that grade level, that building to transform? Because then when that teacher leaves, it doesn't just go, oh, that's not a trauma-informed school anymore because that teacher is gone. Mm. So I want to nail, I like want to get into the weeds with you a little Ooh, bit. Okay. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so here's been, there's been a little bit of experience that I've had. And I want to just run this by you and see what you would do. What would Tracy do? WWD. Okay. So when you are talking about shifting culture, a lot of times we do these trainings. We have people come to professional development. We look at how are we shifting culture in a school? When you have the hater (laughs) come to you and say, we've done it this way for 20 years and it's been fine. We've done it this way for 60 years and it's been fine. Why do I need to change this? Or that's one thing I get. The other thing I get is, trauma-informed, equity-driven, restorative practices, just let kids run wild and do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. I want to know, what does Tracy say so two, in those moments? <laughs> those are two kind of different a little bit, because um, one talks about the why and one talks a little bit about the how. Um, and so the why is I just really talk through about the students we serve, because we should be if we're here for the right reasons, we're rooted and grounded and centered in the community and that larger community. And that's also part of restorative practices. And so we just, I start talking about that as the why is we have students and it's not specific to an urban environment either, but because we know that trauma impacts everywhere. That ACEs study was not in urban communities. It was in middle-class white America that the, that the ACEs study was done. Trauma is everywhere. So how do we really take it and make it personalized to the person saying, mm, I don't know about this. Uh, I've got 25 years. They've served me good. That experience serves me good. Well, how can we serve each other? How can we be here together? And I I personally try to take a non-challenging viewpoint, but a partnering um, collaborative viewpoint and just sort of talk through, hey, what are you seeing? And when they start to talk with me and share their anecdotes, they start to have that awareness typically I will say typically we start to see that awareness of oh that's what you talk about I am experiencing what you're talking about and I coach so that you choose to change Mm. I don't make you change because we don't want anyone to comply Mm. I don't want anybody to just comply I'm going to pause you there for just one second because part of this work is applying it to all humans and not just children and students. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying is so critical right now. We don't want adults to just comply either. No, not at all. And sometimes we do have to just say, okay. And that's an interesting kind of dissonance and dichotomy. And sometimes we do have to just say, okay. And I call that strategic retreat. I don't think of it as... I have complied, but instead I'm like, okay, I'm saying, okay, right now, because I hear that other person or that entity or whatever it is not in a space where we can have that open collaborative dialogue. Because when I think of compliance, um, I then think of cooperation, collaboration. I want to get to that full collaboration, but I have to get to cooperation first. Mm -hmm. And so if I know I'm not in a space with another human that can do that. When we think of dysregulated adults, it doesn't always look like, ah, big, angry. Instead, it's, I'm just refusing. 
and I have the positional power, so I can tell you, you're also going to say no right now. That's a-okay. I can say okay. That's a humbling experience and takes a lot of vulnerability to do, to just be like, okay. Mm -hmm. And because you have to explain it to others typically. Hey, I went to bat. I advocated. Right now, we're going to say okay. Mm -hmm. And how do we strategically um, start to be adaptive and find mm -hmm. another way to get to that cooperation that we can get to the collaboration stage. So what I hear you saying is that person who comes to you, I call it the hater. Eventually they shift. I want to be really clear about that because I love. I've I love not yet. I, well, let me rephrase. I have had some who've not had the shift. Um, hard conversations with leaders. Uh, sometimes that shift has to be out. Mm -hmm. We know that every ecosystem has some sort of toxicity, but typically that toxicity can be contained and, um, we know that ecosystems have that, like literally, okay. Um, but you find ways to mitigate it. In nature, you find ways to mitigate it. And so how do we mitigate it? And that sometimes is a mitigating measure of we then have to say, I don't know the right time, right place, right fit is happening with us. How can I help you find that? I really want you to be happy. And having those convert they're really, really tough conversations. They're hard conversations. Mm -hmm. Again, vulnerable, humbling conversations to say, I'm not the right fit, maybe principal, leader, director, whatever it might be for you. How can I help you get that? What yeah. can I do? So what what I love about what you're saying is that we ask educators all the time to look at individual students and meet individual student needs in really big classrooms. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you saying as a director it, who's done this for a hot minute is I'm also looking at these individual humans and saying, how do we meet your needs mm -hmm. in these big settings? And that's one of the reasons I want to talk to you because you are one of those people who lives authentically. You are who you are. And I love that about Welcome. you. Welcome. love that. <laughs> I think it's great. And I think it's important because authenticity means that you're applying what you believe, what your value, what your core system is. I always say trauma-informed, equity-driven, restorative is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It is a practice. I call it my religion. It's a practice of core values. And it doesn't mm -hmm. mean we just apply it to children. We apply it to adults. I love that. What do you say to the other people who say this sort of value system is letting children run wild? There's no consequences. I think for me, that's a lack of awareness in a different kind of way. Um, and I take that as a reflective moment of I haven't, if I have people who say that I still don't understand and believe, I haven't done something right then and showing it to them in a way that can help them to start get some insight. I'm not asking, and I don't think any of us, or maybe we, we do and we shouldn't and we should be reflective to go zero to 100. But instead, having that uh, critical conversation around how can I help so that we can join this together? What can we do together? Because mm -hmm. we have that, that like there's no accountability. We see that because we know that in systems, education specifically, punitive discipline is traditional discipline. That if there is an action, there is a reaction from adults that typically looks like suspension, expulsion. It typically looks like um, you go to a safe seat outside of my room in an office, wherever it might be. So how do we start to reshift that to make relational happen? How do we shift it so that restorative happens, mending and repairing? Because, and then I try to always have conversations with adults about 
what does it look like to you when mistakes happen? And what do you hope it looks like from your leader that has that positional power? Because we don't tell teachers that often that they have positional power over humans. Mm. And I think that that's a valid point that often is missed that helps them to see that paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. You also have positional power. How do you choose to use it? How do your values fit in with that? You don't have to ascribe to my value system, but how do I make your value system also honor others mm-hmm. in a different way? Love and, that. and those are conversations the, the word vulnerable comes up a lot. And like when I talk with others, just because when you're shifting humans' lives and you're doing that heart work, mm-hmm. which is hard work, but you're doing that heart work, it's not going to happen instantaneously. And it creates a lot of fear and anxiety because mm-hmm. everything I know has been sort of challenged and changed. And I get it. Like I was a special education social worker to begin with, functional behavior assessments, this, that, and the other. Like it gives me a sense of control and purpose. Versus vulnerability and sitting with. Mm. When you are visiting schools, supporting your staff, what what does that look like? Are you checking in with them about how they're doing? Mm -hmm. Are you, yeah. Is it relational? Is it conversational? Is it all of it? What is it? It's all of it. So I aim for, and this is me personally, it doesn't always work out this way um, because I aim for less than 40% technical. Hey, I came out here for a point and purpose. I aim for, with my interactions with buildings and the building staff, 60% or more hang out. Like I love to pop in. An example would be, um, it was our first day back in January with students. So I was like, I'm going to make sure that I'm popping in. I'm starting at one end of the district. I can be in this building. I'm going to pop into this one. And I was in the counselor's office getting to know her new intern that had just started. And she was like, this is so nice just to talk with you. And I was like, oh, and I popped into a few classrooms and just looked and I was like, man, everybody just looks so happy to be back at school. And then I saw the principal and he's like, wow, you're here. Whoa. Okay. What are you doing? And gave me a hug because there was no point or purpose other than just to celebrate them and talk and be in community. Yeah. And so I aim for the majority of that because with that, I can have better technical conversations. I think that is a critical component because I think as leaders, a lot of times we have so much on our plate, we forget that if we're not putting money in the bank of relationship with the people that support, supervise, consult, whatever, they're not going to listen to us if we don't have that relationship there. And so it sounds like you're putting a lot of capital in there. And I would argue that you did have a point in purpose. It just was a point in purpose. Yes, there is a point in purpose, but it's not a scheduled agenda. Like I think would be the, yes. Um, One of the books that for me was really changing and it is more of a technical book for a non-technical um topic is Better Together by Joe Salazar. And it's mm-hmm. all about building relational trust. And it does focus on teams and schools. And it gives you actual activities that you can do maybe with your building leadership team, your PLCs, your whole staff. And it really just brings about transparent conversations in a structured way, because we know that like structure and routine reduces anxiety, all those things, because adults feel anxiety, and we don't want to say we do. I really, really enjoy using that just because it gives us a common language. And I know that you can respect that. Like as a social worker, maybe working in fields that we work in, there people are like, okay, there's the social worker coming through, like, okay. And I look forward and try to find ways to have that common language 
Um, so what was it? Like three years ago, we gave every principal in the district and some, yes, there's been turnover, a copy of Better Together by Joe Salazar. And that was one of the coaching points myself and some of the other teammates did is we went out and said, hey, how can we help you implement this in your building leadership team with that small group so that you guys feel comfortable then doing it in your larger staff? And the buildings that chose to do that, we I have seen that consistent change. So I think the other, and this kind of goes back to the, how do you answer and address the like how and why questions from maybe resistors or haters? It's giving them tangible tools because that reduces their anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. So one of the things that I often try to do when I'm training is say, I'm not here to waste your time. I'm here to give you tools that you can use immediately when you leave. We're not, mm -hmm. we're, we're going to spend a little time on theory because it's important for you to understand brain development, mental mm -hmm. health, stress, all those things. But then these are the things that are so useful for you. And it sounds like you really value that too. I value it because nobody likes to have their time wasted. Like, let's be honest. Time is finite, man. I ain't got, all, I ain't got all day. Yeah. Yeah. And educators have more on their plate than typical humans. And I find in the schools with the most unhealthy culture, it's this consistent, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. We ask, ask, ask without any like tangible resources. How do we save time? How do we build relationship quickly? How do we get kids regulated more quickly? How do we look at that whole piece of classroom management that really gives, you know, time back? I think that that's the hardest part is there's a couple of things that are hard. We are not a ginormous district by any means, but we have right around 50 buildings. How do I get those relational touch points with 50 different teams? I can't. And it's really, really hard. So then you have to tier them. Like, how do I make it into this building so that when I have to have those tough conversations, they have seen me? Um, one of the things that I do, and I don't know if it works, if it's meaningful to them, but I deliberately put on my calendar every single week, 15 minutes of intentional gratitude. And I have an entire drawer filled right here with thank you cards. And if I can't find three buildings to send something to a staff member or principal, whomever, to show my gratitude to them and an email that they sent, a conversation they had with me, whatever it was, then I'm not doing something right. Mm -hmm. So I do that because that also allows me to have that relational touch point without always having been in their building. Cause sometimes it's this, we're having to do zoom meetings around like, how do I work with the student and this family or whatever it is. And I can help you thought partner on the spot, but I don't have to drive the 25 minute drive to get to that side of our County coming from actually the opposite end, because I, you know what I mean? And yeah. so how do we build those intentional touch points in that people can find meaningful, I think is a huge part of navigating facilitating change in large systems um, that oftentimes is overlooked. Love that. So I want to speak to a couple things. One, some people have been so resistant about Zoom and this sort of thing. And one of the things I've said is since COVID, we actually can utilize it in that really connectional way where yes. you're driving less, you have more time to connect in this way. I mean, you're in, you're in Kansas city. I'm here in Colorado. I feel like we're still having a meaningful conversation. Do I love to see you in person and just feel you? Yes, of course. <laughs> but we're still having this meaningful conversation. That's really important. And I think utilizing those tools and video makes all the difference. Yes. Right? Videos yeah. on point. So yeah. the other thing is gratitude continues to come up in these chitty chats. 
it's so interesting that that is a theme in every area with every human that I've talked to talk gratitude. And I love that 15 minutes of intentional gratitude time each week. And if I don't have something to be gratitude, grateful about gratitude about, I'm not doing something right. Mm -hmm. As I'm sort of finding the gratitude. That's mm -hmm. awesome, Tracy. And I think that it, it, it can be hard when you start doing it. Cause that's not something I've always done. I just know that I like thank you notes. So I was like, if I like them, other people might like them too. Like, duh, like, mind blown this big <laughs> epiphany right and it actually started during covid um mm. i asked because i started working here at central office remotely because we were 100 percent remote in our district for quite a long time um and i was like hey can i get stamps can can i just have some stamps and i would mail thank you cards from my house and i i probably seemed inappropriate so i was like hey can i have this person's like personal address can I try to, and that's where it started. Cause I was like, man, I'm seeing people on zoom. They're being courageous enough to reach out to a new employee and say, Hey, I'm struggling with classroom management while on zoom with kids. Can you help with that? Hey, I want to talk with this parent, but I don't really know how to navigate it because they're being courageous enough. Cause they didn't, nobody knew me. I started during zoom time. There was no onboarding where I got taken around to everybody and Hey, hello. Like, absolutely not. You got an email saying we have a new person starting and here's my, my glamour shot. Like, <laughs> so like, you had to find, you had to, you had to utilize your, your deep social work skills of building relationship with people that you couldn't see in person Yes, and yes. gratitude's the way you got there. Love it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. So I want to ask one bigger question about change in districts. I want to know how much your board members are involved? How much do you educate board members? How much do you ask community to participate in your schools? What does that look like at your district? So that's a that's an amazing question. It is a multifaceted question. So we have unwavering board support. Mm. Um, it is huge. So we get a, a really awesome, um, gracious grant through the Wyandotte Health Foundation. And one of our board members also serves as an employee at the Wyandotte Health Foundation. So we have a natural tie-in in that way and an advocate um, and a voice in the work. Because while there is that separate distinction of board member, that person does not ever use or abuse that they are a board member and also part of the Wyandotte Health Foundation. But it is a localized grant where we spend the monies literally to the whole purpose of their grant. And we're not the only people they fund is to combat childhood trauma, mitigate the effects of it. The importance of it is seen within our county. It's huge. So that's our largest funding source for the work that we do here in um, Kansas City, Kansas Public Schools. And so our board is on board. Um, they are passionate, they are vocal, they have thoughts, they have opinions. How do we then structure it so that there is a continual feedback loop and that improvement cycle in place? That has been a slow journey because our journey was a cohort model where we started with like one feeder pattern, getting trauma teams in place, giving them some universal training, going to another feeder pattern. COVID hit, stalled us a little bit. We adapted and went virtual for our like three-day intensive summit for these trauma teams. And then we realized that trauma teams weren't fully sustainable in each of our buildings um, budgetary-wise. Because we can't pay people extra duty at the level of 10 people per building with right at 50 buildings or eight to 10 people. So how do we make this as meaningful as possible by building capacity out? 
And we got really, really good response from the Wyandotte Health Foundation of how do we shift this mm. to having a resilience coach embedded in each building. While the trauma teams were handling some stuff, we weren't able to really um, saturate them with tools and skills and knowledge. And now with a resilience coach, we've shifted. They meet monthly, they get coaching, um, they get support. We look at outcomes. We look at how how what they're doing, what they're sharing is having an impact. Mm -hmm. And I have to give a huge brag and shout out. That's an extra duty for them. They still are full-time educators, social workers, counselors, special educators, in their building. And so the board fully approved shifting that. Um, additionally, we had a big shift and we're continuing this big shift of ESSER funds were really, really poured into restorative practices work mm -hmm. and having cohorts of schools, all of our high schools and middle schools now have been tier one trained. We then, this was a big win of that systems of how does the board, the superintendent and our leadership view what we're doing our ISS monitors shifted into restorative justice facilitators. Oh, I could cry tears of joy. <laughs> and we're still, I, I have to admit, this is a work in progress learning because this has been the last two to three years when we've come back from returning from remote learning of how do we do this shift? But we have somebody there advocating and they get monthly and that is their full-time job. That is their full-time job. It is not an extra duty. And they get monthly professional development provided specific to them and how to then coach out and train up. We're still, again, we have to finesse and finagle. Finesse sure. and finagle. We're changing generations of the way education has been done. Yeah. It's going to take time. And then, like, so that's sort of like the human aspect of it, like personnel and shifting in the last three years, we have slowly started to shift and seen such great response with um, our code of conduct being more restorative. It is hard. It is very, very hard. One, we have laws that say like, if this, then this, those are laws. We can't circumvent laws, no. but we have a restorative education program. So in lieu of a long-term suspension, they can go for 45 days to this uh, restorative education program and learn some skills, get saturated with that social emotional wellness piece. Yeah. Um, and then return to their home school or set up a plan that they might go to maybe a smaller learning environment of our, our non-traditional but comprehensive high school. Mm -hmm. uh, that might be the best fit for them. We help that 45 mm -hmm. days lets us figure that out. So we have that. We, we're trying and getting such good support. It's hard. And I never want to say it's not. Like this is the glamour shot, glamorized version of like, wow, celebrations. It's really, really hard. It's really, really hard to say, I need a break, but the only way to get a break from a kindergartner, first grader, third grader, early childhood student who in theory is assaulting us, they're, they're so dysregulated and don't have the tools yet that we're being bit, hit, kicked, headbutted, like all these things. And the only break we can get is to suspend, but we're saying we don't want to lose the connection with that student or that family. We want them to stay and be with us. Adult wellness is paramount, but how that's a conundrum. And that is always a, that's always the lens we're trying to look through. And that's the number, I, I would say the number one thing I hear, especially at our early, early ages, that early childhood through third grade. Yeah. It's hard. It is and so, hard. and I don't have an answer to it all the time because it's saturating with skill teaching, but our brains, like the little brains, the little brains, like, yeah. 
I feel like I could talk to you for hours, Tracy. I have like 400 other questions, but I want to leave on this question because I think you and I will have another conversation. We'll, not, we'll have another chitty chat at some point. <laughs> Okay. Um, I know I sounds like, man, we just scratched the surface. I feel like I know. I, I, I didn't realize what time it was. I, I, I well, so I, I appreciate you taking the time because this has been my experience with you, Tracy. You are just this deep well of so much goodness. And so when I listen to you and I'm talking to you, I just learned so much from you. And here's what I, here's my last question. When it's hard, how do you keep your match lit? Something I'm really, really passionate about that I um, don't know that we all, again, always talk about are the facets of wellness. Mm -hmm. How am I being intentional with myself around those facets of wellness? Because you only have so much to give and it is okay to not be okay. And it is okay to pull some energy back from one facet that isn't serving you right in this moment mm -hmm. and pour it into another so that you can stay lit. It, it might be dimmed a little bit right now. My little match might be dimmed because I'm tired, but and I'm going to be honest, that facet of wellness around exercise, man, the only way I run is to a donut. Like, <laughs> I don't know that I'm ever going to pour into that wellness, that wellness when we think of that, but can I be intentional about keeping my physical wellness around other things that my doctor's appointments, my medications, those types of things? Yes, I can, that I can do, you know what I mean? So what's manageable? And I think being very intentional, having those conversations around those facets of wellness is the first step, the very first step. Love that. Basic needs. We talk about that all the time, right? Maslow before bloom. Mm -hmm. That's part of our own regulation system. And I can't speak to that as much. When I do a lot of training, I ask the audience, especially educators, how many of you take a bathroom break during the day? And they laugh, but there's probably 10%. There are very, and that is a concern. And I say, if we build systems, the teacher we, bladder, like it's a joke, right, the teacher bladder. Yeah. And if we're building systems where teachers and educators can't even meet their own basic needs, like going to the bathroom or drinking water, because then they're going to have to go to the bathroom, then we're not building a very healthy system. Mm -hmm. So I love the intentionality around just basic wellness. So mm -hmm. I have hijacked too much of your time today. I love that we got to see each other. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, thank you, you. you feel that hug? We just gave each other a hug. Yes. yes. Thank yeah. you for being here with me. You have so much wisdom and we definitely will do a chitty chat too, because okay. I thought of way more to ask you. Yes. And, I know. I'm um, like, let's just keep talking. <laughs> oh, I enjoy you so much, Stacey. Thank you. This was phenomenal. I respect and enjoy you so much. So I am, I don't know that you can tell on Zoom because my face was already a little bit red, but like blushing because I'm like, oh, St Stacey likes me and respects me. This is like, yay. <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, people who followed me for a long time know that I have the best people in my life. Like I meet the best people on the planet and my world has blown up in the last two years with more of the best people. And so you're one of them, Tracy. Got mad love for you, girl. So have Thanks. a, have a fabulous day. You as well. Join me today. Thank you so much. All right. See ya.